Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I want to tell you a story of some of the first Christians. This account comes from Justin Martyr, who lived in A.D. 150, only about 50 years after the death of the last apostle, John. Justin writes in his apology, Having ended the prayers, we salute one another with a kiss. There is then brought to the president of the brethren bread and a cup of wine mixed with water. And he, taking them, gives praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and offers thanks at considerable length for our being counted worthy to receive these things at his hands. And when he's concluded the prayers and thanksgiving, all the people express themselves and assent by saying, Amen. The word Amen answers in the Hebrew language, so be it. And when the president has given thanks and all the people have expressed their assent, those who are called by us deacons give to each of those present to partake of the bread and the wine mixed with water over which thanksgiving was pronounced. And those who are absent, they carry away a portion. And this food is called among us, Eucharista, the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake, but the man who believes all the things which we teach are true, and who has been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins and unto regeneration, and who is so living as Christ has enjoined. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation, so likewise have we been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word, and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation are nourished, is the flesh and blood of Jesus who was made flesh. And afterwards, continually we remind each other of these things. And the wealthy among us help the needy. And we always keep together. And for all things wherewith we are supplied, we bless the maker of all through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Ghost. Again, that's from 150 AD, 50 years after the apostle John died. We see here that the beauty of the Eucharistic service, the beauty of the service of thanksgiving, that sacrifice of praise that our first hymn referenced, comes to us honestly from Jesus to St. Paul to the early church, down through the church to our liturgy today. And we see here in the book of Corinth that Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians, 
that within the first 100 years, there were already issues with Holy Communion, issues of who was to take it, issues of how it was to be done. But I want to point out three different things. Number one, that Paul points out, we ought not to neglect the sacrament. Number two, that when we neglect the body, we neglect the church in the sacrament. And number three, we ought not to neglect our sin. So let's look first at his first point. We're not to neglect the sacrament. That's not a problem for the Corinthians, but it is a problem for many in the church today. Whereas we call this Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the gospel, and it's the central thing that Jesus tells us to do, in many places it's shelved. It's seen as an inconvenience. I even overheard one pastor say, oh, we've got communion this week. That's going to be in the way. What a wrong-headed thing to believe. It's all about communion. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about following his obedience. That's why here we celebrate the Eucharist every week. Because it's that important. Because we need it that much. Because it's all about that. Alongside of Jesus, from Jesus' instructions in the gospel, Paul takes time here to deal with the Lord's Supper also. Remember, earlier in 1 Corinthians, he spoke of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, just a chapter ago, St. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in one bread. It's central to who we are as Christians. Paul makes the point to the Corinthians that it not only is it central, but that it's important how we do it. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 now, which is our text that Brigitte read for us. Paul makes the point that celebrating the sacrament of the altar is nothing short of proclaiming Jesus' death. Do you suppose that's important? Proclaiming Jesus' death. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. He writes, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So do you see, they're coming together and they're celebrating the Eucharist, but they've made it for the worse. Why? Because they're not proclaiming the Lord's death. Verse 26, Paul writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But he convicts and calls out the church in Corinth because how they're doing it is not about Jesus. What is it about? Themselves. Themselves. We continue the, 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 the uh, theme of Corinthians. Don't make it about yourself. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the cross. 
The Corinthians have forgotten this. And while they don't neglect to gather, they fall into this trap. Look, Paul says in, in verse 17 that even though they're gathering together, it's actually worse for them. What does that mean? Can going to church make you worse? The answer is yes, it can. They can. Why? If you're going there with a wrong heart, if you're going there not seeking Christ, if you're going there not discerning the body, as Paul says. Let's continue. For in the first place, verse 18, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Well, that's a pretty serious allegation. It's not the Lord's Supper that you eat when you come together. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What's going on here in Corinth is something that we have to dig into a little bit. You see, they didn't celebrate Holy Communion quite like we celebrate Holy Communion at this time. They had something called an agape meal. An agape meal was kind of like a spiritual potluck, all right? Or a pitch-in, as they said in Indiana when I was there. Everybody ever heard that one? I'd never heard that one. It's where everybody brings something and pitches it in. When everybody brings something, some food, and the whole body partakes of it. Except that's not what's going on in Corinth. What's going on in Corinth is something very different. The rich folks are bringing the filet mignon and the champagne and all the good stuff, and they're going up into the dining room. And they're eating together, even getting drunk, St. Paul says. I mean, he doesn't even address the getting drunk part, right? That's not his main point here, but he says that. No, they're segmenting themselves off from the poor. So they go into the triclunium, which is, which is the Roman dining room where everybody lays down on a couch and eats well. And the rest of the church, the poorer folk, wait out in the hall, essentially. In the Roman construction, there was this eight big square atrium that you came in. Some of you may have seen ruins. And in the middle of that atrium, there's like a hole in the roof that goes into a splash pool, right? And then you go up the steps into the dining room. Well, they were left out in the atrium, out in the hallway. And even worse, no one was sharing food with them. <laughs> they had nothing to eat. Some go hungry, St. Paul says. And then when it was time for Holy Communion, if the, once the ruckusness in the dining room died down, if people weren't too drunk to do it, then they had Holy Communion. And then, yeah, the poor would be allowed to come partake of a little bit of bread and wine. Do you see the problem? There is not one body here. Paul talking about divisions here is not talking about the factions that he talks about earlier in the book. Those factions came about by people having different 
opinions, people following different leaders. Paul here is talking about social factions, talking about economic factions, divisions that have been carried into the church from Roman society. And he uses a really interesting word for division. The Greek word is schismata, from which we get the modern word schism or schism, right? Which specifically means to tear, to rip. He's accusing the Corinthian church of tearing and ripping apart the body of Christ by their actions. Far from a love meal, this has become a meal of division. And so he rightly chastises them. Do you not have your own private houses to eat in? Look, notice, he doesn't chastise them for being wealthy. But he says, this is not how this is supposed to work. You know, if you want to eat your filet mignon and everything, do that at home before you come. Don't rub it in the face of the poor. Remember, the church at this time is composed of people from the wealthy all the way down to people that are slaves. Do you not have a place to have your private suppers, he says? Commentator and scholar Gordon Fee Fee writes, those who eat as they are doing are doing so in an unworthy manner and will be liable for the death, the very death that they are rather supposed to proclaim. Those are serious words too. They're undoing the purpose of the Lord's Supper in their actions. Look at verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. But notice the contrast Paul draws them to. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The next problem that he deals with, remember, don't neglect the sacrament. They're not to neglect the sacrament itself. Number two, when they come together, they're not to neglect the body. But number three, they're not to neglect their sin. There's something about the state in which they're participating, not just their actions, that is offensive to God. Not only do they not follow Paul's instructions as he outlined, but they don't follow Jesus' instructions. They're not examining themselves. They're not coming before the Lord's table having examined their conscience and repented of their sins. There's a parallel back in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, verse 23, where Jesus instructs his followers saying, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The New Testament equivalent of offering a sacrifice 
is the Eucharist, offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord. So what they're doing here is they're drinking judgment upon themselves because they're neglecting their sins against God and against their brother. Look at verse 27 and 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why in the liturgy we always confess our sins and we exchange the peace before we come to the Lord's table. That's why we do that every week. It's following the commands of our Lord who says, before you come to the altar, make good with your brother and make good with your God. Examine yourself, as St. Paul says. It's also why uh, Thomas Cramner, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and largely the author of the Book of Common Prayer, puts what he puts in the prayer of humble access. Do you ever catch that? It's actually kind of the last chance to examine yourself before you receive the Lord. Look at the words. We do not presume to come to this your table, a merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, to eat of the flesh and drink of his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood. So when we are faithful, examining ourselves, we avail ourselves of the mercy and the cleansing of the Lord, which is very much consistent with what St. Paul here is writing to the Corinthians. To not do so, actually, is to harm yourself by taking communion. Don't take communion if you don't believe what you're doing. That's harmful to you. Don't take communion if you haven't prepared yourself to do so. It's harmful to you. It's not just a nice snack. What does Paul mean when he says that you drink judgment upon yourself? Well, it means that as Christians, we must reflect before we come to the body, before we take Jesus. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, for then who could take it? It does mean that we have to be sincere in our repentance. St. Thomas Aquinas writes, carefully inspect your conscience, lest there exist in it the intention to sin mortally of any past sin which has not been repented of sufficiently. Well, what does that mean? It means that when we repent, when we confess our sins, we can't do it halfway. You have to lament it. You have to truly mean it. You have to truly intend an amendment of life, as the prayer book says. Truly intend to seek God. Will you sin again? Sure. Of course you will. None of us, we can't help ourselves. It's, it's, it's part of our fallen nature. 
But at this moment, at this time, do I repent of that sin or am I keeping it there? Am I saying, well, you know, okay, I'm going to go through with this and then I'll go do what I want. That's drinking judgment upon yourself. It's better for us to judge ourselves, St. Paul says, here and now, and to allow Jesus to cleanse us with his body and blood than to be condemned along with the world. The Lord's judgment here and now is for our sanctification. It's to help us. The judgment at the end, not so much. Just as a loving parent punishes his son or her daughter, so the Lord chastises, punishes us so that we become better, so that we become more like him. It's for our sanctification, and it's out of love. Look what Paul writes. Verse 31, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. But we don't know what the other things are. <laughs> he leaves us off with that. In conclusion... Don't neglect the sacrament. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that it doesn't matter. It's the centerpiece of who we are as followers of Jesus. Jesus says so. The scripture says so. The church fathers testify to it that that's how we're supposed to abide in Christ, as John tells us. If we're not here... We can't abide in Christ. If we don't take the sacrament, we can't abide in Christ. Now, can God act in other ways? Absolutely. Can the Holy Spirit reach you wherever you are? Of course. Can God touch you outside of these walls? Yeah. But as I told the students at St. Michael's this year, Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, has said to us, I will be here at 11.15 every Sunday. I will show up when you pray these words, when you offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will feed you myself when you participate in me, when you're here at the altar. Do you really have any business standing up Jesus Christ, your Lord? Is there really anything more important than that? Don't neglect the sacrament. Second of all, don't neglect the body. Don't neglect God's people. Don't pit one person against another or drag your social baggage in here. This is a sacred place, holy and set apart for the worship of the Lord. How are we neglecting the body? I'm not sure. I've got to chew on that one a little bit. 
Thirdly, don't neglect your sins because in doing so, you neglect God's wonderful forgiveness. You see, if we're faithful to confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive them. When we don't confess our sins, we can't obtain forgiveness. I want to leave you with one last quote. This is from Bishop Ignatius of Antioch who wrote this as he was being dragged away to the Colosseum to be fed to the lions. True story. He was being dragged from Greece over to Rome. And as he was, he was writing off pastoral letters to his congregations. So this is to the letter, his letter to the Ephesians. Not in the Bible, but again, from around 35, he, he lived from 35 to 108 AD. So this is literally in the first century, even before what I read earlier. Ignatius writes, Try to gather together more frequently to celebrate God's Eucharist and to praise him. For when you meet with frequency, Satan's powers are overthrown and his destructiveness is undone by the unanimity of your faith. There is nothing better than peace by which all strive in heaven and on earth. Friends, let us take the Lord's Supper seriously and as the pledge of love that it is given to us by Christ Jesus. Amen.